Today's April 30th, 2021. The FBI raids Rudy Giuliani's home in New York. Biden gives his first speech to Congress. And Seattle feels the pain of less police. I'm your host, Austin Taylor, and this is Split the Difference Podcast. Here we take a look at both sides of the political aisle as we try to bridge the gap between today's biggest issues. Remember, times may be divisive and we may not always agree, but together we can stay level-headed, be reasonable, and always split the difference. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends, Split the Difference family. We got a fantastic episode for you here today, finishing this week strong, bringing you all the best news and insights from both sides of the aisle, as we always do, trying our best to look at the good and the bad and the ugly on the left, the good, the bad, and the ugly on the right, and trying to split the difference and find that sweet, sweet truth that oftentimes lies right there in the middle. So, So if y'all are interested in that, let's go ahead and hop on into our first story of the day. Story number one. So for our first story of the day, many of you know who Rudy Giuliani is. Some of you may know him as Trump's former lawyer. Some of you may know him as the former mayor of New York, right? Big deal there. Some of you may know him from the speech that he gave a few months back claiming election fraud and interference as black streaks ran down the side of his face and all of the fake hair painted on it to his head, beaded away from the sweat that was just coming out from all the intense speaking that he was doing. So his most recent and large job, though, was defending the previous president from a wide variety of different things, right? We've seen Rudy Giuliani's face all over everything over the past couple years because he was Trump's main man. He was his lawyer for a good couple years, right-hand man, okay? But like, Everyone that has been close to Trump, uh, he ended up getting burned pretty bad, right? Another great example of that is actually Michael Cohen, who was Trump's former lawyer and kind of, you know, big deed doer, uh, who is currently sitting in jail and is also probably ghostwriting a book that he will make bukus on when he gets out. Uh, But Giuliani was the guy that defended Trump in his first impeachment trial. He was there defending Trump as people hurled accusations at him about a lot of his more scurrilous social life, right? He was there when everyone said that Trump lost the election, but Trump swore up and down that he did not. Giuliani had his back, okay? Rudy Giuliani was there helping coordinate and file dozens of lawsuits all the way across the country, all of which, you know, failed miserably, but nonetheless, Rudy Giuliani was there, okay? But now, Rudy Giuliani is making the news, not because of poor hair care routine, but because the FBI has actually raided his home and office in Manhattan, New York. Um, I confiscated a bunch of documents and electronic devices. Uh, Rudy claims that he has done nothing wrong, as he normally would. I can't imagine Rudy Giuliani doing anything wrong, right? That would be crazy. Uh, His son, Andrew Giuliani, said that the raid was, quote, absurd and totally unnecessary. So the feds wanted information that Rudy may have had, okay? Because they're investigating whether or not he he had violated the Foreign Agent Registration Act in his dealings with the Ukraine, remember, about a year or so ago. So This uh, was another impeachment. This was one of Donald Trump's impeachment trials. He had two, right? So uh, the first one was around the Ukraine, okay? Donald Trump had ended up getting over and he was was talking to 
some people there in the Ukraine, and there was that famous phone call that came out where Trump was basically like, listen, we really need your help in covering some of the stuff that was going on with Hunter Biden. We know that Hunter Biden's a terrible person. We know that y'all know Hunter Biden's a terrible person. And he was going apparently to Rudy Giuliani, and he was like, Rudy, I need you to dig up some dirt, okay? Looks like Biden is gaining a little bit of steam in the polls. He's gaining a little bit of steam in the hearts of the American people, but we can't have that we need to dig up some dirt on Hunter Biden. Supposedly, this is what had happened, okay? Or at least that's why Donald Trump was impeached. So um, Rudy Giuliani was uh, obviously trying to do some work for Donald Trump, trying to dig up a little bit of dirt, trying to figure out what Hunter Biden was really doing over there in the Ukraine. Um, and now it's looking like the FBI is currently investigating that because, um, yeah, you can't do that. Okay, so Rudy's lawyer, uh, his name is Robert Costello. I'm going to go with Costello. It may be Costello. I don't know, but it looks like it's uh, Latin in origin. So he claims that all of this is complete bunk, right? And that all of the electronic devices that were taken by the feds have a large amount of client information on it that is protected by attorney-client privilege, okay? So the feds, he's saying, are just completely ignoring attorney-client privilege, okay? And they're trying to get in there and they're trying to steal information because they really want to dig up dirt on Trump, right? All this is actually about getting at Trump. Um, what? Like, this is the FBI, Okay, this is the Federal Bureau of Investigation. They do not care about Rudy Giuliani's attorney client privilege if he is hiding illegal activity that could have taken place aiding and abetting a current sitting president in doing illegal and scurrilous activity. What attorney client privilege does not protect you from keeping all of that information away from the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Like that is literally why the FBI is there. Okay. So Biden came out, they asked him about it. Hey man, did you know that this was going on? Biden was like, I swear I didn't know anything about it. Apparently he had no idea. Um, do I believe that? Not really. All right. Biden more than likely knew what was going on. Um, obviously he's not going to say anything about it. He's obviously not going to say that he knew. Uh, I would be very, very surprised if Joe Biden had no idea that they were going to be raiding the office of Donald Trump's former attorney, the person that basically tried to argue for and protect Donald Trump for the entirety of his time and tenure in his, in office. Of course, Biden knew about it. Uh, but so that the feds actually also entered a, um, or issued a warrant to confiscate electronics from a lady named Victoria Tonsing. Okay. She is a DC lawyer uh, that has been close to Giuliani for a little while. Apparently she's not the target of an, of an investigation or of the investigation, but they seized her electronics. Obviously, they thought that she was communicating with Giuliani in one way or another. Maybe she was doing a little bit of work with or for Giuliani. And now they want to be able to look at her electronic devices as well. Um, I'll, I'll just say this much, okay? I know that Trump and Rudy really, really thought that Hunter and Joe Biden had some not great stuff going on in Ukraine. And honestly, they're probably correct. Right. I mean, we can all be we can all be honest here. If you've been in the D.C. swamp of politics for as long as Joe Biden has. OK, there are, of course, some not so savory things that you have been doing or that you have aided and abetted in your time there 
in DC. Okay. You're probably going to get some little kickbacks to your son. If you can, he's a vice president of the United States at the, you know, at the time of the Obama years, while his son is kind of gallivanting around the world, opening up and running all of these shell companies in various countries. Of course, Hunter Biden was doing something that he probably should not have been doing. And he was using his dad's name in order to be able to get it done. Of course. But I am also not nearly naive enough to think that Trump and Giuliani didn't do anything sketchy either. Okay. Going out and digging up dirt on a an opponent, a political opponent that is running against you in the presidency by trying to trying to convince and bribe, maybe not bribe, all right, maybe that's a little too strong, but trying to convince another foreign country, okay, to give out bad information about that candidate, not a good look, okay? <laughs> and unfortunately, for Rudy and for Trump, this is now really kind of coming full circle and biting them in the butt a little bit, okay? Every single presidential administration has sketchy stuff that they do. Of course they do. Like I said, if you're in politics, I'm under the impression that you probably are doing some pretty, you know, sketchy stuff, all right? But Trump lost, and Trump's out of power. He used to be the one that was calling all the shots in D.C. He is no longer that. Okay, now he's working out of a a renovated bridal suite in his Mar-a-Lago resort, doing his best to hold together the country, hold together all the people that uh, think that he was their hero so that he can hopefully eventually either form a third party or just tear the GOP apart completely in a 2024 run. Okay, they now are at the receiving end of a whole lot of investigations that are apparently going on specifically into Rudy Giuliani now, but obviously with the intention of probably getting at and getting towards figuring out what Trump's hand was in as well. There are a lot of people in D.C. that have been wanting earnestly to be able to find some sort of dirt, something legal that they can bring against Donald Trump to hold him accountable for whatever it is that they possibly can. Okay. If they can get to do that, if they can do that through the means of Rudy Giuliani and bring Giuliani down with them, of course they're going to go for it. Right. Uh, we will have to see how everything pans out at this point. It is still very, very early on. There is incredibly little information about all of this, but what I do know is the last time that there was a big FBI raid on one of Trump's lawyers, the dudes went, the dude went to jail, right? Will Rudy Giuliani go to jail? I don't know. Nobody knows. Um, but what I can't say is you never want the feds to raid your house and office and take all of your electronics and tell you you're under investigation. That's just not, you know, normally not a good thing, especially not when that person is so incredibly well connected with the former sitting president. So we'll have to see how it all shakes out, but not looking too hot for Mr. Giuliani there. So with all of that, that is the end of our first story of the day. Let's go ahead and hop on into our second story. Story number two. So for our second story of the day, Biden stands up and gives his first speech to a joint session of Congress since his administration started. Uh, this was what many of you may know as the State of the Union Address. Uh, this is right around the 100-day mark, which is very normal for most presidents to come in and give their first State of the Union, State of the Union Address, State of the Union Address. Um, so... Let's hop in real quick. This is The Guardian. Let's watch some highlights from, or what they're saying are highlights, from uh, President Biden's first State of the Union. Well, Madam Speaker, 
Madam Vice President. No president has ever said those words from this podium. No president has ever said those words. And it's about time. I stand here tonight one day shy of the 100th day of my administration. 100 days since I took the oath of office and lifted my hand off our family Bible and inherited a nation we all did that was in crisis. The worst pandemic in a century. The worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. The worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. Now, after just 100 days, I can report to the nation, America is on the move again. And by the way, while you're thinking about sending things to my desk, <laughs> Let's raise the minimum wage to $15. No one, no one working 40 hours a week, no one working 40 hours a week should live below the poverty line. We need to ensure greater equity and opportunity for women. And while we're doing this, let's get the Paycheck Fairness Act to my desk as well, equal pay. All right. So Joe Biden was on fire, y'all. So if you have never watched a State of the Union address, uh, I don't blame you at all. Uh, they are, in my opinion, completely useless. All right. It is literally just a time for a president to say a whole bunch of stuff and then have all of the people in their party stand up and clap. Right. And then they take some jabs at the other party and then all of the other party just sits there sullenly sulking in their chairs and they give very, very little insight. The presidents give very little insight into their actual policy prescriptions or the ways that they actually want to put together proper legislation to address or offer solutions for the problems in America. They just walk in, they, they free flow a little bit. They crack a couple jokes. They do their best to just gas up their party as much as possible. Right. Every single thing that Joe Biden said, the entirety of the Democratic Party was standing up, Whoa! just screaming, right, clapping. Oh, my gosh. Just amazing. Just amazing. I mean, just tear, fainting tears rolling down their faces. Never seen anything so poetic and beautiful in their entire life. And it's the exact same thing that all the Republicans did for Donald Trump and all the things that the Democrats did for, Bar for Barack Obama. It's just it is at this point. And it's just political show and tell. That's all it is. And it is, it honestly, it kind of looks like it's very, very reminiscent of monarchies, right? But, which is why I don't particularly love it. I think it's pretty dumb. But, so Biden used this as an opportunity to do a lot of things. First and foremost, he wanted to really crap on the previous administration good. Because you have to do that. Your first hundred days, uh, you have to be able to make sure and blame all of the problems that the country had on the previous administration and then any of the good things that have happened in the past 100 days. That is obviously solely your responsibility because now it's your presidency. Um, but he also really wanted to talk about a lot of the spending that he has done and some of the different plans that he has in place that he has proposed and basically say the Dem to the Democrats, I need all of you to get this done and then say to the Republicans, uh, Either you fall in line or we're going to figure out other ways to get it done. 
pretty much is what he was doing. So in just his first 100 days, Biden has proposed $6 trillion in spending, okay, on a wide variety of different things. From economic relief to infrastructure, another tax and spending bill, none of which he has totally detailed how he will pay for. Um, Biden realizes that the trend of presidents losing the majority that they have garnered or gained uh, in the elections when they actually get elected are normally lost at the midterms. Okay, that's just normally how it plays out. Okay, over the past couple of decades. A president will get in and they'll win and they'll be riding that wave in. And then as soon as the midterms hit in their first, uh, in their first term, it's just like all of it's gone, right? They get in and everything Congress just flips right back over. And the other party is just trying to stonewall every single thing that they do. It happened to Bill Clinton, happened to George Bush, happened to Barack Obama, happened to Trump. Okay. It will also likely happen to Biden. Although you never know, right? Still a year out, but Biden wants to stop that trend in whatever means that he possibly can. So he realizes that he's got to make some waves. And his goal and his agenda is really shaping up now to be this century's FDR. He wants to be a one-term FDR, okay? And uh, a lot of this is going to be founded upon and based upon more than likely, you know, getting Kamala Harris to a place where she either assumes the presidency before Biden is out and then ends up taking that incumbent advantage into the primaries. And then also, uh, I mean, she's not really going to get primaried, but and then into the election in 2024, uh, because there's no nobody thinks of Biden is running again. Right. Like, come on. He will be 82, 83 years old when that happens. Come on. Biden's not running for a second term. So. Uh, Biden's got to do a lot over this next year to ensure and establish in the hearts and minds of the American people that his agenda is what needs to be passed. It doesn't need to be on the Republicans. Okay, so what's he got to do? He's got to pass a gigantic wave of executive orders that is straight in line with FDR, who had by and large the most amount of executive orders that were ever passed by a president. Uh, he's going to pass a, Biden's going to pass a huge amount of spending. FDR had an unprecedented amount of spending in his terms as well. Um, Biden of course has totally blown that out of the water. And then he wants to instigate a massive wealth transfer promulgated by the federal government. Okay. And hopefully take money directly from the government and put it into people's pockets through a wide gambit of different ways, right? Whether that's through infrastructure, whether it's through direct stimulus payments actually given to Americans, whether it's through uh, some sort of UBI, which may eventually be put in. Um, if all of it, of course, goes according to plan, he will hopefully get, garner and gain the support of the vast majority of the American people and the Democratic Party subsequently will be able to keep power heading into the midterms. If it doesn't, then America will be shackled with debt for decades and the Republicans will be charged with coming in and changing course, which in recent past has shown they are not very good at. Uh, so... Biden says that he will be able to pass all of this spending without increasing the deficit at all. Maybe he knows math that I don't. Uh, he says that he we, we basically can further increase taxes on the rich and use it to fund all of the spending that we have. He actually has also proposed tax cuts as well, various tax cuts. Um, he also he has you know gigantic tax increases on the rich, but he's proposed also tax cuts on other people. Um, so in my research, I have not been able to find a major economist or tax expert that has said that the math works out. Uh, I'm most of the, most of the time, uh, Moody's will be very, very, uh, generous 
to more Democrat, more left-leaning economics uh, and Democratic candidates or uh, people that are in office that are tend to be more progressive in their economic leanings. Um, but the most generous that I really have been able to find has just said that Biden's tax and spending plan are, quote, untested at best. That's according to NBC. So uh, what is clear is that Biden cares very, very little for, I think, maybe the long-term economic plan because he's wanting to cement his legacy now and he's wanting to make sure that the Democrats are able to take hold of this gigantic power vacuum that is happening currently. And I don't necessarily think that, like, that's Biden being short-sighted, right? Or that's Biden being dumb or not not playing politically the way that he should. Uh, if anything, I think it's actually really smart, okay? Most presidents, okay, it's very difficult to find presidents that are like, all right, I'm going to do everything that I can so that 20 years from now America is going to be great, okay? Most presidents step in and they work very hard to establish their own legacy and kind of establish who they are in their term, okay? Biden, I think, wants to do that for the Democratic Party as a whole, Okay, Biden's goal and Biden's message is basically we have to have policy that the American people are going to like because we want to be able to stay in power. I know that seems like what? Well, duh. Obviously, that's what every political party wants to do. But okay, it comes with this incredibly unique time in American history where you've had an incredibly popular president, okay, who also was equally just as hated, okay? And he's caused this gigantic rift in the other side of the aisle. And that's not to say that Democrats don't have problems of their own. Of course they do. But Donald Trump has created uniquely difficult problems for the GOP. And Biden sees the fracturing and he realizes this is the time for the Democratic Party to step in. If they are able to get in and take a lot of money from the federal government and redistribute it, to the masses, and they're able to convince the masses that they're the reason why that money is getting into their pockets, then the masses are going to vote for the Democrats, okay? That's just how it goes, right? And they should, right? If the vast majority of people see and like the policy that the Democrats are putting forth, they should vote them in. That's why we have elections, okay? Um, and there are, really are portions of Biden's spending plan that personally I think make a lot of sense, okay? Especially portions of his infrastructure plan I like a lot, okay? I do think that there needs to be solid spending on investing in green energy. I do think that there needs to be solid research and development into a lot of things, and I do think that there's ways that the government can help to spur that on, although I think the vast majority of it should be done by private industry. Um, but the amount of spending that Biden wants to do is, I mean, unquestionably gigantic. I mean, it is trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. Okay. Um, there's no way, and there's, there's no doubt that there's that the amount of spending that Biden is planning and that he's wanting to do can't be paid for by simply raising taxes on people that make more than $400,000 a year. Okay. The money has to come from somewhere. And the longer that we are pushing out this debt for further and further interest payments down the road, the more burdensome it will be on the backs of future taxpayers. Okay. One thing that we do know is for sure is that America is incredibly divided and is coming off of one of the worst years that it has come off of in a very, very long time. But 
and Joe Biden can and will take credit for a lot of this. The economy looks like it is roaring back, growing faster than it has in a very long time. Uh, job growth looks steady. Uh, there's been a gigantic increase in the United States GDP. COVID is on its way down because the vaccines are getting out. And Biden, as any other president would, is taking credit for this, okay? So far, though, it hasn't necessarily reflected in a lot of the opinion polls or approval rating polls for Biden, uh, which have him sitting right around 52% approval rating, which is actually not all that great uh, because the amount of people, it's actually exactly equal to the amount of people that voted for him. Uh, and normally, presidents enjoy a, a bit of a boost in their approval rating in the first 100 days, and it looks like he hasn't really done that. But what I will say, if the good times continue to last through next year, it is going to be very difficult for uh, the Democrats, I think, to lose a lot of the elections that they have. Okay, uh, it's going to be difficult for the Republicans to come in and sweep a whole bunch of seats in Congress if people are looking around. And they're like, the economy is doing great. Okay, um, jobs are back. COVID is gone, right? I remember back when Trump was in office and, and all the Republicans were running the show and it just, it, COVID was just roaring, the economy was in shambles, right? And some of that may have been totally out of the hands of the Republicans, right? But people are going to look back on it and they're going to remember it. And the Democrats may be able to capitalize on it. And that's what Joe Biden is really, really working to try and be able to do. He may succeed in it, he may not. We will just have to wait and see. So with all of that, that is the end of our second story of the day. Let's go ahead and hop on into our third story and our last story, story number three. So for our third story of the day, the Seattle Police Department, okay? So I've covered some of the whole defund the police, you know, kind of stuff that has happened over this past year. Um, I've done it once or twice on the podcast and personally, I, I will go ahead and say this up front. The whole defund the police movement has to be one of the dumbest movements that I've seen in a while. I personally think, I don't think it is a marketing problem. As some Democrats have said, there've been a couple of Democrats, most notably Barack Obama that's come out and said that the whole defund the police thing, their heart is in the right place, but it's just a really poor marketing issue. Um, I, I totally disagree with that. I think that in a lot of ways it is piece and parcel uh, to an agenda that I think is incorrect and wrong overall in terms of where they want to take the criminal justice system. Uh, but getting rid of the police in communities that desperately need protection from violence uh, and gang activity is absolutely absurd to even consider on its face, right? But that has not stopped a few cities from diving headlong into it um, after being caught up in the political fervor of last year's events. And one of them is Seattle. So Seattle announced that last year alone, 180 cops walked off of the police force and more than 60 have already left this year after what they have said were weeks of protest and heightened anti-police rhetoric. Okay, They are also not the only city, as I mentioned before. So another example would be Louisville, Kentucky. They're having a lot of very similar issues with around 200 cops walking off their own force as well last year, uh, putting them in a quote staffing crisis. Okay. So if we remember back to last year, Seattle, which has long prided itself in being one on the forefront of progressive thought and politics, uh, was the epicenter of a lot of the defund the police narrative that was being pushed. Okay. Seattle, Portland, Minneapolis, Louisville, Kentucky, Atlanta as well got into it a little bit, uh, but Seattle had a, actually a large portion of their city under a what is being called an occupied protest uh, that actually led to the police department coming under siege. They, they laid the police department under siege, okay? Many of the residents demanded that action be taken in the form of abolishing the police completely. 
the city council, which is incredibly left-leaning as well, obliged as much as they could, and then proceeded to go on an incredibly aggressive budget cut of the police department. So this resulted in the police chief resigning last year. They have not been able to recruit back up to the numbers that they need to properly take care of the city. And uh, with many people that are submitting and making calls into the police department, regularly never get responded to. They actually have detectives and specialists that are actually reporting to routine calls because there literally are not enough cops to answer them. So the city council is also considering an additional $5.4 million budget cut. Because what better way to let cops know that you care for them than just by taking away their funding. So in 2020, there was also a 50% rise in homicides over 2019. A 50% rise, okay? Along with an increase in crime in just about every other area, okay? This is common sense, like I've said before. If there are no cops to stop crime in high crime areas, there will be more crime. That's just how it works, okay? The reason why this story is important, though, is because... I've been I've seen over this past year an increasing amount of anti-police rhetoric and is continually pushed around and promulgated and promoted on just about every mainstream media outlet outside of Fox, which is on the polar opposite side of the spectrum where it's like a police officer can never do anything wrong, which is equally as absurd. Okay. And, and I hear, hear me when I say, I see and recognize the desperate need for reform, not only within our criminal justice system as a whole, but of course also in the individual police departments across the country in large cities, okay? I agree, major changes need to take place. But there is a middle ground here, okay? There, going through and completely demoralizing the entirety of your police department, making them feel like crap, like they don't matter, defunding the police departments completely and then being surprised when police officers leave and you don't have enough people to go out and actually investigate and respond to calls of people that are in your city desperate for the help of the police that should not be a surprise okay there has to be a middle ground okay defunding the police is completely idiotic like unbelievably dumb okay but at the same time Saying that there's nothing wrong with the criminal justice system or the police departments as a whole, that is equally as stupid. There are clear problems that are happening all across our country, okay, that are at the hands of police officers. There has to be this middle ground where it's like, you know what, uh, maybe instead of tearing away all of the money from these police departments, why don't we just reallocate or why don't we put more money in training? Why don't we put more money in education? Why don't we put more money in better equipment? Why don't we educate the communities around them as to how to communicate with the police officers properly and educate the police officers on uh, more things that are maybe beneficial from a psychological standpoint and dealing with somebody that is under a severe amount of mental distress. There's so many other things to do. And right now, there are cities that are literally just stripping away money and allowing police officers to walk off the force. Absolutely terrible. So this is a great, great opportunity, a great um, example, I guess, of a time where a clear middle ground is there and it needs to be found and it needs to be met, okay? So Seattle City Council members, if you hear this, don't defund the police. I think that's dumb. <laughs> So with all that, that is the end of our third story of the day. Let's go ahead and hop on into our last thing. It's called Something That Made Me Smile. 
So something that made me smile is actually today, my wife is going to be going to her first little market for Furnish Me, the little furniture flipping company that she started not too long ago. And she's, we are all super excited about it. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. So if you guys are in anywhere around the North Main Street area of Columbia, you should totally stop by and check out the Noma Market and look for Carson and I will both be there hanging out, selling furniture, and having a great time. So if you're looking for Instagram as well for all that, it's going to be at Furnish Me. So with all that, that is the end of our podcast today. Thank you so much for stopping by and for checking us out. As always, y'all, we're going to do our best to stay level-headed. We are always going to be reasonable. And of course, we're going to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor. Thank you for listening to Split the Difference Podcast, written, recorded, and hosted by Austin Taylor. If you're interested in getting in touch with me on Instagram, you can find me at Split the Difference Podcast. I'm on Facebook and YouTube at Split the Difference and on my website at splitthedifference.com. Production for the intro and outro music done by Rosewood Records Recording Studio. If you're interested in booking or learning more about them, you can reach them on Facebook or Instagram at Rosewood Records SC or on their website, www.rosewoodrecordssc.com.